Hello, everybody, and welcome to Insane Rhetoric. We are so happy you decided to come and join us today. We have a great topic for you today, and we know you will love it as much as we do. So come on in and enjoy the ride. That is Insane Rhetoric. guests in the house we got some more. we lit if i tell y'all we had to work like james brown you know he was the hardest working man in show business in show business yeah we, we had to work like james brown to get one i guess today y'all just don't know yeah this guest was supposed to see y'all they were supposed to see y'all in season one yeah it's, <laughs> we, it's look, but that's all right they're kicking off season three it's season three it's like it's, right Yes, yes, yes. Season three. We out here. We out here. <laughs> so they kick it out. They kick it off season three, but but it was like where it was like James Brown or Ike Turner. Man. Well, <laughs> okay, without the beating up Tina. But... <laughs> and the pulling the teeth, because you know how people's schedules are, man. Especially when you in certain type of job situation. Them schedules just don't go. <laughs> so but we're excited, y'all. We're yeah, excited, excited today. We got we got uh we got some people in the house that's gonna rock y'all world today, y'all. Cause yeah. y'all know we we either talk about a thought or we talk about something really serious like alcoholism. Y'all know y'all know right. what happens. Thoughtism, thoughtism is serious. Yeah, that is serious. You, we don't want you to be a hoe either, cause you might get picked. You might get picked up by one of our guests today. If you hoe, you okay? Uh, okay, okay, right off the gate, right out. Okay, I'm gonna like this. Oh man, man, so, this is great. Uh, we gonna start with Didi. Didi, tell us about yourself. Tell our listeners about you. Yeah, give us your your nice introduction. Go ahead. Uh, what is there to say? Hello, I am Dee Dee. I'm from Duluth. I am a um, I am a pastor. I'm a reverend. Uh, but trust me, I'm not your average res- uh pastor. I am still rough around the edges, as I tell most folks. I'm a hot ass mess, but Ooh. God tells me. So, anywho. <clears throat> Uh, I am married to a wonderful husband that I believe you all had on your uh, show a few months back, Eric Snoopy Tyler. Yes, Tyler. Uh, he was in the man cave with us. Oh, the man cave. That's what it was. Okay. I don't know why I had to go in the man cave. <laughs> <laughs> I tried not to go in the man cave. I, I, they I, were all like, I don't know, because that morning that he was in the man cave, I was laying down asleep. In my bedroom, and he was in the living room, and that cave must have been deep because he was show talking loud. So, but uh, yes, I'm married to uh, Eric Snoopy Tyler. Uh, I am biased, one of the baddest bass players on this side of heaven. Definitely, definitely. We found that we found that out that day. Definitely. I am an entrepreneur. Uh, I, like I said, I'm, I am a social justice pastor. I'm a community uh, advocate for uh, people of sexual assault and abuse and human trafficking. And you know, that's pretty much it. You're all around nerd and political <laughs> junkie. I, I am. I am a. I am a nerd to my heart. I used to hate being a nerd, but now. I love it. I love wearing the cat eye glasses when they used to bully me, honey. Now everybody wants to wear the glasses. <laughs> I figure I set a trend. And um, yeah, that's pretty much 
that's pretty much it. I pastor a wonderful small church. In fact, I am the church's second black pastor in the 154 year history. Wow. Church. Um, and so that when they ask me how many black people is in my congregation, I say, yeah, about three of us, including me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's okay. wonderful to be in the number. <laughs> it really is. I'm so happy to be in the number, honey. It don't take much. So yeah, that's pretty much me. So pleasure to meet you and thank you for having me on. So y'all, we have been trying to get this lady, this lady right here. Since 79. I'm gonna tell you, this is Lieutenant Cheryl Orange. And um, when I first um, ran across her, I, man, I was, I was just taken and I, I have, I am so excited that she is here. Would you tell us about uh, you, Lieutenant? Hey, good morning. Insane rhetoric. It's a pleasure to be here on your show. Uh, as I said, I am Lieutenant Cheryl Orange, also known as the First Lady. Uh, many people say, hey, what's your husband's name? You married to a pastor? No, I'm not. But how I got the name is uh, in the history of the St. Louis Police Department, I think it was probably around 200 years or so, maybe a little more. But I was the first uh, Black female supervisor to supervise the traffic unit. And when I walked in the door to my new assignment, the first thing they said, here come my first lady. And the name stuck. So um, awesome story. also... Yeah. Also, uh, we have, because uh, I'm a roller skater and uh, been skating since I was probably about 13 years old. In fact, my father introduced uh, me to it and that's what our family do. That's that's what we do. We roll. And uh, so that's also my skate name. You know, we go by nicknames on that floor and uh I am STL finest first lady. Awesome. So I've been on the police force. It'll be 34 years in April. So um, I've been out there serving the community for a very long time. Awesome. That's almost as long as I've been living. <laughs> awesome. So so when when we when we first encountered each other it was during um, the tragedy of the George yes. Floyd incident. And that is when um, so many people were just screaming and screaming, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, la, 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 la. And then they were screaming, defund the police. Now, if you go to our real, if you go to our website, you will see that um, we talk about we talk about racial issues. We do, mm -hmm. and the inequality of uh, in, uh, inequity of those things. But but if you go to our page, you will also see that we have uh, found several police across the country that we feel like just embody what police really are and what they really do for the community. Yeah. And the first lady is one of them. Yeah. 
Well, thank she you. is she has put uh, a lot of work into her community. And so we wanted her to talk about the flip side of defunding the police. Now, okay, so y'all know this, y'all know this the uh okay. We Sesame Street for adults. <laughs> Definitely. So if you listed and you don't know what defund police is, you you know you in a you in a bubble or you just didn't care to figure out what it means. Okay. So basically, in a nutshell, and we're gonna we're gonna talk more about it as we go along with this show. But in a nutshell, actually since the '60s, and you correct me if I'm wrong. First Lady, but since the 60s, different people, including Angela Davis, okay, have advocated for defunding the police, which means I want to take the money that's spent or budgeted for police, and I think we should take it and put it into the community where it's given directly to the people in different programs and things that would actually help the people. And all of that's fine and good, but see me, I want to know the flip side. What? Cause I need the police. Cause I don't know karate. I don't know how to shoot a gun. I don't even know how to own a, I don't own a gun. I don't. And yes, so, you do. Okay with that. <laughs> don't be outing me on the show. I can't. Okay. Yeah, that's a long story how I got a good. <laughs> okay, but anyway, but see, our governor made that easy because I can have a good Texas with the Wild Wild West now. Okay, but I want to know what's the flip side, First Lady. I want to know what's the flip side. What if, if they take away and don't put more police on the force and don't pay y'all for all of that war that stuff we don't know about the yes. stuff nobody's there putting with a camera uh-huh that stuff yeah the stuff I... y'all can't talk about uh-huh because it's for our safety that you can't tell what y'all really did with the drug lord like <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> want to talk about what... the paper on this one this gonna be good <laughs> Well, listen, when you talk about when you talk about really defunding the police, you're really talking about removing the resources that police need in order to really serve the community at large. So as officers, there is certain equipment that we need when we come on the scene. You and society know what the police does and when you the expectations when the police come to your home, you know, the police is coming in a uniform. They come in with a police radio. They come in with their vest. They come in with a vehicle. They come in with a utility belt around their waist. What, as I say, the tools of the trade. So when you're talking about defunding the police, you're talking about stripping the resources that we have in order to serve you, the people of the community. So that in itself is the issue, okay? When you talk about defunding the police, you're talking about reducing the manpower on the force perhaps and say, okay, well, in the city of St. Louis, say we authorized to have a thousand officers, 
know, if you're defunding police and you're taking resources away, then that may mean that, okay, well, hey, they didn't took away, say, 25% of the budget this year. So now we're not able to hire um, additional police because you got to think through attrition, people leave, through uh, changing jobs, people leave, sometimes people leave because of that. And then they say, hey, I'm fed up. I don't like it. Hey, you don't pay enough money here. So I'm going to go to another municipality so I can make money because I got a family too. I mean, we all are individuals. I am a, a mother. Uh, I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm an aunt. I mean, I need to be able to support my family as well. So when you talk about defunding the police, you're talking about those things. So, okay, now we have uh, uh, resources that we need to replenish. Think about just even the software that we use in law enforcement. That stuff got to be updated. So we need to, the most up-to-date technology as well. So when you talk about defunding the police, you're talking about those type of things. Then, um, you know, a lot of times, as, since I've been on, when I first came on, my service weapon was a 30, 38, okay? So now we into uh, weapon systems that we need more firepower because of what is out there in the street. I mean, a lot of times, most of the, the folks, they got better weaponry than the police has, you know? So, I mean, it's those type of things that people don't think about when they think about defunding the police. And hey, I get it. I get it as far as the resources you may want to be able to say, well, hey, don't buy the police uh, more vehicles but if you said hey when they break down and we don't we're not able to replenish those vehicles then when you call and say hey i've been in the car accident you want me to walk to you is that what you're saying walk to you i was wondering when you said that when you said that earlier i was wondering if we was just gonna give y'all some horses and let y'all be the mounted police But well, I, I find it interesting because, you know, first and foremost, if, if, if I'm correct, and I could be wrong, when Mike Brown died, they were really talking about defunding the police then. For me, that's when the first I heard it before George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And just hearing the, the, the rhetoric or the talking points or whatever you want to call it, you know, and then of course reading the book, uh, the New Jim Crow by mm-hmm. Michelle Alexander. Yep. You know, the whole defunding was like, like okay, does police officers really need a tank, or you know, they're give they're 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 selling police officer military grade equipment in order to, so we need to defund that 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 was the rhetoric that the framework that I saw. Like, okay, but growing up, you know, if if defunding the police mean taking away those resources, what's wrong with taking those resources and like they say, educating officers culturally? See, don't nobody want to talk about that part. Mm-hmm. You know, if I got a white officer in an all-black neighborhood, but he's coming from Boonville and don't know how we do. And you got a black officer, say somewhere in Boonville, that don't understand how the trailer park work. 
you know, that type of resourcing. I mean, it, it, I, I guess my whole premise is, is that don't give us the talking points that's going to rile up the emotions. Give us the real deal to put it out there on the table. And my biggest question is, why aren't anybody talking to the police officers that are out there every day doing it? Right. That's that. That was what when me and Fire was talking about having the first lady on the show. That was another reason why we wanted her on the show. We was like, uh, uh, can we actually talk to a policeman? <laughs> no, but and, and this is great. But I'm talking about mainstream because mm-hmm. it is the talking points mainstream that get the attention, mm-hmm. whereas you see police officers like Miss Orange. Sit probably sitting on the sidelines scratching their head. Did anybody talk to us? Mm-hmm. They don't. None of y'all niggas come out here every day to walk the beat like we do. So who gonna, are we invited to the table? That's that's just like saying, well, we need to do something in order to uplift black people. So, but you got a bunch of white folks in the room trying to tell us how we need to uplift ourselves, and you got nobody of color that understands the culture. See, this is this is my problem. We want to put these big, yeah, this is what we want to do, but you still got holes in your plans and you're not putting the right people at the table. Yes. Or if you are putting the people at the table, you're putting the people at the table that agree with you instead of having somebody that's going to push back. Push you. Yeah. you know. So, so this is this is this is my issue. I'm coming from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'm a male. Second of all, I'm black. Third of all, I'm intelligent. Wait a minute, you black? Right now I am. <laughs> oh, you're not indigo? <laughs> right now I am. Okay. So, African-American colored? <laughs> I, I wish I, we I, get one and stick with it. Well, actually, I'm brown from the boogie down. So <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> so, so, this is my point. <laughs> this is my point. Being those three things... I'm pretty sure that the percentage of people who want to defund the police are not white people. They are black people because they are mistreated by the police, not saying all, Mm -hmm. but the ones that they encounter treat them so bad and treat them less than human, which why would we want to police get policed by people who don't want to police us and do their job correctly? That is the problem. Because you think on a on a I don't even know if the, the, the vehicles have this on the side of it, but he used to say serve and protect. No, you should take that off. Because when you come into a black neighborhood, that's not what you're doing at all. You know, nine times out of 10, not all, but nine times out of 10, you're coming into a neighborhood of like, like I said, you're coming into a neighborhood or Didi said of black people, but you don't know the culture of them people. And then you want them to adhere to what you do. So this is my thing. After a while, when you're in school and you get bullied and everybody has been bullied by the same bully of the school. Mm-hmm. Somebody gets the idea and say, let's get together and go jump on the bully. So now what you have is you have white mm-hmm. cops coming in or cops in in general coming into black neighborhoods getting shot at. And the reason a lot of this, because growing up in a certain neighborhood, this is what we see happen now. 
Police don't show up until everybody is laying down. Okay, let's let let's let um first lady speak to that. Well, uh, and I hear you. I hear you, fire. Uh, uh, and that's a lot. Uh, it's a lot to really take in when uh, you bring it, put it in that perspective. But let me just start from here. Um, and when you said the thing that you said that the police don't show up till everyone is lying down. Well, in black neighborhoods, not in all neighborhoods, uh, but mostly in black neighborhoods. Well, when the, and when, when, the, when the shooting that, starts, they're yeah, okay. they won't come until it's over. Well, let me just put it in perspective for you and mm -hmm. how the system works. Okay, all right. So, in an urban area, you have calls for police that comes in all the time into dispatch center. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and that's just since we from the loo, that's just just making it a scenario that maybe the your listeners can understand and just put from the loo, just put in any urban area. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's activity that say that's going on in Natural Bridge and Graham. That's a major intersection here in the loo. Mm -hmm. Okay, hold that thought for a second. Hold that thought for a second. Okay, so in Houston, Texas, that's Greens Point. Okay, mm -hmm. go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So there is uh, activity at that intersection where uh, you got a group of people that's just mingling around and then somebody becomes upset and then somebody, you know, uh, displays a weapon and begins shooting. Okay. Now. The police don't know that this is going on, okay? Say the police uh, had just driven by there maybe 10 minutes ago. They was in there just patrolling the area, and those same officers get a call over on Pleasant and Pick. Mm -hmm. So they responding to a disturbance over there. Okay, well, they just been over at Grand and Natural Bridge. Mm -hmm. But they everything seemed fine. They see people, you know, mingling. It's a nice summer day. So they just riding and they see everything is fine. So they handling one incident. And so now here at Natural Bridge and Grand, here someone gets upset, upset. They display a weapon and then they just start popping off some rounds, okay? And say three or four people get injured. Well, guess what? We don't know that in the dispatch center because... Nobody has called. But now, since there has been a shooting, now here comes the floodgates open up. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting several calls for shots being fired at the corner of Natural Bridge and Grant. Mm -hmm. So then it goes to the dispatch center. It goes to an evaluator. They evaluate the call, get the information, and they send it to the dispatcher who is dispatching for that area. And then that dispatcher then... Uh, puts the call out to the officers and say, hey, we have a shooting in Natural Bridge and Grant. Uh, from the caller, we have uh, a suspect and a suspect maybe a black male with a white t-shirt on and blue jeans and 
uh, that fled, you know, east or west on a certain street, and we have several people injured. Mm -hmm. So now, okay, so the dispatcher is putting out the call or whatever, and then an evaluator may even come in and interrupt and say, hey, we got this major incident. So now, okay, we have to look and see where's our cause for service. That's what the dispatcher is doing. She's putting it out. And then she say, she, if there's a car available, she'll send those officers there. But if a car is not available, then, you know, they, they usually contact the supervisor and say, hey, sir, we don't, ma'am, we don't have any vehicles. Uh, what should I do? You know, then we have to look, we tap into our resources. Well, let's see if we got another Jason vehicle or district that maybe could, a district rather that we can send a call to and we can get some resources over there to help them. So it's a process. You just don't call the police and say, hey, I got this and then bam, they there. It don't work that way. It has to go through a process. So the thing of it is, so how do we get the officers that are assigned in that neighborhood to be able to patrol that neighborhood. Well, you need more of what we said, I said earlier, you need the resources available to have the officers there, okay? But even when you do that, it's sometimes so things are coming on that you still got to answer because the people call the police for everything, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about it, we get calls for, hey, I'm trying to sleep. I work nights. It's it's nine o'clock in the morning or uh, 12 noon and I'm trying to sleep. But I got this dog constantly barking in my neighbor's yard that they can't get them to shut up. You know, we get calls like that. Mm -hmm. People call because of the barking dog because they trying to sleep because they work nights. They just got home at eight o'clock and at noon it's it's during their sleep time. So People call the police for everything. When a storm happens, wires are down. We get calls. Uh, it's a wire down at Natural Bridge and Green. You know who they call? They call the police. Now, we're not electrician. We're not Amory and UE. We can't put that up there. But you know who they call? They call the police. Ghostbusters. Okay? Well, so, well so that's the marquee you that's on your car. About, <laughs> yeah, but, but the thing yeah, but we 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 can't serve in this particular incident. You know why? Because I can't get up on no pole and put the wire back up there and say, okay, you got electricity. You know, I can't do that. But at the same time, you Her know, I just she don't get on no poles. <laughs> I don't get on no pole. No. You know, so I mean you gotta think we can't we can't do everything. But the main thing is safety, okay? So in that incident, if you got live wires, it's water, you know, yeah. Can we go and block off that section? Yeah, we can do that. But when we do that, because we wait no Amarin to come up there and put the wire back up there, then that takes a car out of service because for the safety of society, we need a car to let somebody know that that is danger. And, okay, and I, so now, now you're taking, uh, that's a resource gone now. That's that's a car out of service. And so that car may be there until, say, 
you know, maybe an hour or two before Amarin can get there, depending on what kind of storm it is, and maybe even longer. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing if you have a major fire. They call yeah. the police for a fire. Now, we don't come with no water hose. <laughs> we have no water hose, but the police got to go and block that section, you know, for safety things. So, I mean, people don't look at everything that goes into when you have a, a metropolitan police department and trying to service all the people. So when you get those calls, you got to respond. You and, know, and, the officers got to respond and 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 do that. So it's a lot that goes into it. So that is that's some of the problem. Now, in my 34 years, have I ever come across a situation where, and I'm talking about with a firearm situation where I was just right there at the spot. No, I haven't really come across that in my 34 years almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I but, haven't, but there are officers who have, who, that have. have <laughs> who have been able to, you know, diffuse that situation. There are officers that, that have been able to, that was right there when, when something went down and was able to, you know, save someone. So, you know, it happens. I mean, and the, and the thing that I'll say, I said that to, to bring that around because <sighs> there are incidents when I was in the neighborhood and driving around with other people, you have four cops in one truck called the Jump Out Boys. Now I'm riding with somebody on the passenger side, not driving. They turned the corner the wrong way. Who do you think that they came to pull their ID from? Female and a male. Who do you think they got the ID from? They got it from me. So, and I wasn't even driving. So this is the thing that black people see that's, that speaks to Didi's point about social injustice. You got some resources that you just out there burning up because you ain't doing what you need to be doing. I remember when the police used to be in schools and just trying to help and teach and, and let people know that, hey, you can, you can be safe. That's no longer in existence. I don't even know if they still have the DARE program because it helps. They do here in Texas. Because it helps so many different people to learn what was going on in their neighborhood. The problem is the police, the white police who we know are the racist ones, when they come down into North St. Louis, they see an opportunity to put a foot on a neck. That's the problem that I have. I don't have no problem paying taxes to help the police get weapons because I remember a story out in L.A. that happened over 10 years ago when some guys had Teflon material vests and they was walking down the street killing police in L.A. The police didn't have enough firepower to deal with what was happening out there. They had to go to pawn shops to pick up weapons. So the same thing that was happening in L.A. actually happened here in St. Louis as far as the weapon situation where they don't have enough firepower to do what they need to do. I understand that. What I do not understand 
is how we can say that we are serving and protecting, but when you come to neighborhoods that are urban, then it's a free for all, kill as many as you can, treat them badly as you can. And I'm not saying all, I'm saying the ones that do. We used to have one in North St. Louis named Pac-Man. <laughs> and Pac-Man was a son of a gun. We already knew he would come down there, take people money, then take them to jail. <laughs> so what was he doing with that resource? He was using the badge to do what he wanted to do to the people. And that's what I'm saying. I don't I don't believe that we need to defund the police. Um, I think you need to give them whatever they need and the fire department. I think those two those two entities is where you need to definitely push your money because yeah, y'all do a lot of good things and it's a lot of good people on the police force. But when you have bad representation, <laughs> that is the biggest thing. Let's, and, let, oh, let's let Didi get in here for a second. Uh, hold that thought, hold that thought first lady, because I she she got she got a burning question over here. She, no, it's not necessarily a burning question. I, I, I see both sides of the argument. I, I really, really do. Uh, you have to be able to have the tools to do your job. Yes. But now I really want to ask the question that is probably not going to be popular and I might it is going to be controversial. My question is this. What are you doing to teach your kids in order to have respect for the officers that are out there doing the work? Okay, yeah. I get it. So, you know, people got to work. Kids are roughly uh, 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 raising themselves. Uh, and, and so if we're talking about this vicious cycle, we're talking about the systems because First Lady said it. It's the systems mm -hmm. that are in place mm -hmm. that is either crippling the law enforcement to, to come into urban areas and they just want to throw some people in there to put their foot on it. Look, my building where I live at in St. Louis was on the news twice. What? 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 What had happened? Somebody shot up my wonderful building downtown, and then somebody got shot. And there's a dead body at my front door. Mm -hmm. Now I live less than what ten minutes from the police headquarters. And then maybe another two minutes from the nearest station that is located up there on Jefferson, for those of you all who knew. It took them 15 to 20 minutes just to come to the front door. And St. Louis is not no big sprawling metropolis. No. I can walk from my building to where I need to go. That's I can get my 10,000 steps in. Amen. <laughs> but, you know, where I'm going. So I'm, I'm, it's like, even as a pastor, as a social justice pastor, yes, I'm looking, but I can't jump on the bandwagon for the okie doke. I have to understand, and some of these folks, I think, just have to understand, yeah, let's defund the police. No. How did it get to this point? Point, yeah. Two, what are you doing with your kids? Because why is your child is 10, 13, 14, and they're out at two o'clock in the morning? And I can agree with that. I can agree with that. You know, okay. And, and, and then next, you know, with the officers, because see sensationalism in the media, see, we want to focus on the bad. You want to focus on the bad, but you never want to shine a spotlight on the, on the good. And then it makes you want to ask questions. Well, where are the good officers and how come they're not speaking? Because of fear of retribution, when you got the nepotism, 
that you have here in St. Louis, and I'm saying nepotism is everywhere, but when you got the, first of all, the inertia that is deeply embedded in the DNA of everybody that is born and raised here, and the inertia by, I mean, the complacency that it mm -hmm. is what it is, mm -hmm. and as it evolves, it's just going to stay what it is. Yes, when you yes. have energy of people that, that, that want to do good, that people that want to help, that people that want to, you know, shift the resources to do what is right and just. But see, the problem is, is when you got a chosen few that has purse strings and they've been having the purse strings since Missouri has been founded or since Jesus was a baby. And then they only want to give just enough, enough. like real life orphan Oliver, please, sir, may I have some more? Mm -hmm. Then you want to say, well, all y'all are lazy. You just won't, won't, won't and not contribute. No, if I work hard for what I want, I should not have to fear. First of all, I should not have to fear that when my husband is going outside of my home, is he going to make it back home? Mm -hmm. And my husband used to be uh, with the St. Louis City Sheriff's Department. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to fear that if I'm going out and I have to do whatever it is I need to do in ministry, am I going to make it home? Yep. You know, because I'm black. But is and that I'm the police's fault, though? But I, it, I, it's it's not the fault of the police. The police have to work in, I believe the police have to work in the system and we have to work in the system that has been given to us. But just as soon as you get somebody to see, say, hey, something is wrong with this system. We need to make some changes. Then that's when the resistance and the retaliation start. Don't nobody want to change when it's lying in their pocket. No. Don't nobody want to change no. to understand culture when you see that it's going to help a group prosper. They rather just see, and then those who have just pretty much been as cynical, because I'm pretty cynical now, sitting on the sidelines. Well, I just want to see what's going to happen Ever. because when I tried, you mm -hmm. knocked me on my head, and all I was trying to do is do something good, so we won't have these type of issues. When I go out and advocate for victims who have been sexually assaulted and sexually abused. Some police officers, both city and county, that I have to encounter, now, I, hey, I'm gonna say it. Some, some of these county officers are complete assholes. Hmm. Especially when you got a young woman who was raped, uh, sexually assaulted, or a young girl. I had to go advocate for a young girl. There's only much I can say. And, as she would, and when I get there, I have to go in and be the buffer to make sure that the victim still has some sort of semblance of power. But I was up in there and the young lady was even more upset because the officer, she first of all, she was a special needs young lady and something had happened and she was telling her story to file a police report. And the officer looked at her and said, well, I'm glad you ain't my daughter because that's just ridiculous. I'm like, see, if I was that, I'm like, bruh, you need to leave. Mm -hmm. So, so, so let's let, let's let, y'all put in a lot. No, no, let's let us speak no, 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 to some no, of this. No, no, I'm not putting it on the first lady. I'm just saying in general, yeah. because it's not the first lady's fault. She's doing the best she can with what right. she got. Listen, listen. Let's let her speak to it though. Okay. Well, let me go back to what uh, Fire was talking about. Uh, and he referenced an officer, and I guess that's his street name. So, uh, so I'm not familiar with, you know, uh, what he's really, yeah, Pac-Man. Um, so, I mean, we got a lot of different 
names you hear, so I don't know, you know. He's off the force now. He, he's way gone, way gone. He's okay, but, but here, 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 here's the thing that I, I, I want to say, uh, and this goes for black and white officers. You know, there are black and white officers who hate uh, and really has a disdain for bad police officer, you know, because it really tears our reputation down. And it's no different for the police, whether it's a, a police, a doctor, a accountant, any walk of life, you got good and bad. You got the same things on both sides. But here's my question to fire. When you mentioned that this officer will come in the neighborhood and take folks money and this, that, the other, whatever he did. What did the constituents in that area do? What did the citizens do? Did they go and complain? Did they come down and say, hey, I want to make a complaint on this officer? You know, all I know is, hey, they call him Pac-Man, but uh, uh, his badge number is this or this is what time he was working. What did you do? They didn't that's do, a problem. They, they didn't that's, do that, nothing a, because they already had the fear of what police would do to them. That's okay, that, so, so they so weren't gonna call me. So they so so then this Pac-Man individual or whoever he is still can continue with the behavior. Yes, and and that's, and, and, that's, and they continue with the behavior. So, so you telling me that the and I, I assume these is African American people that you're talking about. So nobody that has encountered this officer at any time had the strength or the fortitude to say, "Hey, I'm not taking this. This is wrong. We need to do something about this now." You telling me nobody ever, even if, even if they are afraid and they are scared that retaliation will come through or something like that from the police, are they aware for the, the, the is this any good police officer that those people feel comfortable with in saying, how do I do this? And that's the problem. Because if people, if the people, if the people want to complain if you want to make a complaint, because we got a, a system in place where you can make a complaint on an officer, you know, mm -hmm. just like they got system in place where if you got a bad accountant or a bad attorney, I mean, it's systems in place that you can go and say, hey, this is a problem. But do we do that as a race of people, as African-American people, do we do that or do we just say, okay, you know, if I if I tell on them, they're going to come by here and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I understand that some people have a real fear for that. Some people just, they're fearful and they're afraid of what can be done to them. But it's got to be somebody out here somewhere that will stand on their own two feet and say, I'm not taking it. So just look at what happened with the Mike Brown and some of our other people, George, people took a stand. They got together and they say, oh, wait a minute, this is far too much. We know what the police is supposed to do, but this is over the mark. You know, this is 
over that. And, and just with the George Floyd thing, everybody from America could see that you don't put your knee on uh, a, a guy's neck and then put that pressure on there until he can't move no more. Everybody could see that, you know, and even they may not talk about it, but everybody know that was just pure the murder, you know, and I still stand on that. I still stand on that because it was out of doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. That's what it is. Right. And first, America got it right on that one. Everybody can see they got it right on that one. But that's what we need to do for not just wait till somebody get to the point where it's murder. If you got a police officer that comes in and you know that they are not doing the expectation of the service of that badge, then you should have the obligation to stop it right there and say, okay, gotcha. Okay, how you doing? You ain't got to be ignorant. You ain't got to be rude. But you can get the information and then you can say, even if you turn it in and you be anonymous about it, at least it is there. I you know, agree. So my thing is, I, so I, my I, thing is that what are the people who, hey, this is happening, they see that this ain't right, what are they doing? And if and if they can't do it, then we need to get a system in place or have some way that if a person has something that say, hey, this officer is not doing something right, then that they can feel free to come in and make a complaint. And, and, because and you're right. Do, you're but, right. You're right. But, but go ahead, Didi. And, and, and I agree with you, First Lady. And I believe that there are people who call and make complaints, complaint after complaint. But after a while, when you get through complaining and you don't see nothing, see nothing. <laughs> or you don't hear nothing. And, you, and, and because look, for example, uh, over there around Fairground Park, like you said, Natural Bridge and, and Grand over there. Greenpoint. Greenpoint. Greenpoint in <laughs> South Park. Right, South right. Park. Uh, over there, over there in Houston. Uh, you know, I see because Eric's Eric, my husband's mom, she was committee woman up until she was 88. And I remember growing up in that area across the street from Ashland off of Natural Bridge and Newstead. When people complain, and, and I mean, the folks I know, I, I can only speak from experience, I know in that area that we cared about our community, we cared about our children, we cared about our safety. And when people complain, 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 and then again, you see maybe a little something was done, but after a while you get, you, it's not like, why complain? I, I, it's like the whole premise is this, I followed the system, I did what you asked me to do, and I kept doing it. I, I go when, when they have the committee meetings. I went to the committee meetings because I went. The older people, yeah, they're all like, "Hey, I've been calling and talking and blah 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 blah," but I don't see nothing. So why should I call? Because right. if I'm calling to complain, because there are some folks they ain't scared. They right. ain't scared about retribution or retaliation. Right. In fact, they're not scared of some of these young people. They're all like, well, I'm just cynical. Why complain now? Because ain't nothing going to happen. Why complain now? Why continue to follow this system? And the system seems like it's not interested in working or helping me, but yet still you keep coming to my neighborhood saying, y'all need to voice your opinion. You need to gather up and gather together. And some folks sitting up there saying, we did that. Where y'all at? The system has been failing 
in urban communities since the 60s with police. Well, well <laughs> like okay, so, so WD so, WB Du Bois was talking about it in, in talking about defunding the police in, in 1935. So mm -hmm. it's something that has gone on Forever. consistently. But what I'm hearing as we're having this conversation, um, in response to what you ask first lady your question why aren't they complaining why where are the calls all of the things that you're talking about the whole um i'm cynical because i have called and nothing happened the allowing the policeman pac-man or you know whatever his name was in training day uh you know keep doing the same thing, coming in the community, misusing the community and being fearful of retribution or retaliation. Isn't that a sort of method of uh, Pavlov dog? It, it happened in slavery, right? If I beat you, if I, if I um, keep water and sustenance from you, if I continually do these things, then at some point you're the dog sitting there salivating, but you won't do anything because you're waiting on that whistle or you're waiting on that thing that will create this movement for you. So to me, in many cases, we talked about, you, you mentioned George Floyd and how America got it right. And it was that little girl who held that phone up, see, out of the mouths of babes. Mm -hmm. It was that little yeah. girl that held that phone up and, and then everybody took off. I got a problem. Let me raise my hand. I got a problem. At the end of all that, while people were standing around watching them, he still wound up dead. Right. So right. why didn't somebody go push the police off if they knew he was right. wrong? That's actually what we talked about when we did that show on him. Because, I, because again, it's great to stand up there with your phone and record, but with the minute you step in, folks are scared. Well, wait a minute, hell, they... they but we back to Pavlov's dog. Right. They 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 gonna arrest me. They're gonna lock me up saying mm -hmm. that and then the first thing to come out of not all again, because there are some excellent cops out there. I'm not yeah. gonna say good, they're excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. I've said many times on this show. I've said That's many times on this show mm -hmm. to speak into Dee Dee's point. Mm -hmm. When I was raising my kid, Sesame Street would uh talk about the people in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. yes. Who are the people in your neighborhood? Who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet when you're walking, you're walking down, the, down street the street each day. Mm -hmm. And so when we would be walking down the street each day, if we encountered a police officer, because I did not want my children to have that fear of police, even though I knew that something could possibly happen to them because they were Black, African-American, Indigo, whatever we are, colored, whatever. Okay. And I would stop and have a, have a conversation with the police officer. I've, I've done it with my girls that I teach, police officer in the park where we have in class. I had them, they took pictures with the police officer. 
because I I believe that not all police officers are bad, and we right. have to, like Dee Dee said, teach our children to have that um, respect for that authority. We do. But I'm telling you that when my daughter, we go back to season one, I believe. When my daughter was, she wasn't 18 yet. She had taken her second trip to Honduras to help uh, build. I think the first year they built a church and the second year they built a school in Honduras. She had just come back. And my daughter started wearing her hair natural when she was 13. So she had this natural hairstyle. And she had, she still had some Honduran money in her, in her uh, purse. She had gone out to a date on a date with a young man that played basketball for Penn State. And they were in his mother's suburban. And the police stopped them as they were coming out of the movie. And the man was, he was fast-skinned. The young boy was fast-skinned. When he got to me, he was trembling. When he finally was able to get home, to get away from the police, he was trembling. And you looked at him, they had put those cuffs on so tight, he was actually red around the wrist. My daughter was shaking. They by God's grace, they let her call me because they questioned her and they said, because she had this Honduran money, they didn't believe her that she had been on a mission trip where your parents are not from here. So how do we, would you speak to that? How do we, because we could talk all till we blew in the face about the wrongness of all of this, but what do we say to our children? How do we help them determine the good, the bad? How do we help them? How do we help them respect the police? What are the words we need to use? If there are any words, what are the actions we need to teach so that they will stand up? Um, well, I, I think the first thing is that you have to make sure you educate your children. And, and it seems crazy, but in our times, and you talking about black children is first safety because you want them to be able to survive the stop. You want them to be able to make it back to where you can talk to them about it and get all the information, you know? And I think the other thing is that we really don't know. Um, sometimes some of us don't know when the police has the right to stop us and when they don't have the right to stop us. And I think that is something that you can learn because you can go to many of these uh, Supreme Court cases and how we do our job is out there already like from the cases, like when you talk about Terry versus Ohio and all these things, just like, you know, like the board, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education. Remember those cases, they are out there. You just have to go and do the research if you want to know exactly what does that mean. You could just put in the Google thing, um, 
what is PC, probable cause? Mm -hmm. What do the police have to have in order to stop me? And then you could see and learn and educate yourself about how we, how we do our job. But the first thing is you want to make sure you educate your children to make sure they survive the stop, you know, especially uh, our, our black men. I got a, I got my son. He's uh, of course a black man. And as mothers and dads of our children, especially our black men, we didn't have to have the talk. We know as black mothers, what the talk is when it comes to our black sons. When they're talking about when you're dealing with the police, why do we have to deal with it? Because it's the reality of today. It's still a reality. People don't want to talk about, say, no, da 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 this crit critical race theory, all this stuff. But we still today have to still have that talk. You know, put your hands where they can see it. Do this, do that. So but what happens the when they put their hands where they can see it, like those officers, uh, military officers we've talked about who knew when they were not supposed to be stopped or whatever they because they were in military they were in policing and so they're asking those questions one of them actually turned his phone on and restored recording it and he had his hands out and they they didn't listen to him it was all on a video he had it on video they weren't listening to him they pulled him out of the car they did all kinds of manner of stuff to him and another one but he was following all of those procedures that you're talking about. And then they took him through all that rigmarole, went through his trunk, and he studied asking those questions that you're talking about because he knew the questions to ask. He knew what to say. And they just ignored him anyway. And then after they figured out he really was who he said he was, then they were trying to hush him up. Okay, we can we can get past this. We can get past it. You remember five? We talked about that. Yeah, I remember. So what about then? What about what about then? What what is it still that we just do the complaint, go through the complaint uh thing? What what about then? Yeah, you, because wait. that's the that's that's the that's the system that's in place. You still would be best to go through that, but at the same time. That young man had a voice. He could come on your platform and say, hey, this is what happened. You know, go to somewhere to get the word out. You don't, because that way, at least you your voice is being heard and still while still going through the process of making the official complaint because you was out of order. You know, you was this, you was that. But just also know that some people will make complaints on officers, and it's a it's a straight up lie. Okay, let's talk about that too. Some people will go and complain against the police because maybe they got a disdain for the police, and they'll go up and make up stuff on the police too. They get that too. But the people that are in place to investigate these complaints and everything, just they still got a job to do, and they got to get through all of the investigation and all that stuff too. So. It do take time. It it is it's not an easy fix. But if you don't say nothing, 
nobody unknown. And just like Dee Dee says, she says that, hey, even when you done did all those things and then it seems like nothing happens, you still got to follow up because you done heard that, that saying the, the squeaky wheel get the all. Mm-hmm. You got to mm-hmm. keep pressing. If we wouldn't be where we were t- are today, if we didn't have people through the civil rights movement and that's black and white, that pressed, press, mm-hmm. keep pressing. You know, you mm-hmm. got to press sometimes and you get tired. You know, your muscles get atrophy because you're just so tired. You just don't do nothing. You don't want to do anything. But you got to mm-hmm. keep pressing. You got to keep pressing forward. Mm-hmm. And then to speak to the George Floyd, because I heard Fire say that, you know, nobody did nothing. And I remember a young man, I think he he was trying to do something. He kept getting in there trying to engage and they said, get back, get back. They got guns and stuff, get back. You know, so he, you, mm-hmm. I could see that he wanted to get in there and do something. But then he, mm-hmm. by the other police talking about, don't come over here, stay back. I remember, I think it was the Asian officer that was right there from, don't come over here, don't do that. So he still, he was torn because he wanted to do something, but then he got the officer saying that, you know, don't, because now he's he's like, hey, if I get in here, now I got to, it's a fight with them, all this. So I get it. But it should not have taken even to the George Floyd to even get it right. Think of all the other individuals who lost their lives, like the Breonna Taylors and Tamir Rice and some of the other ones that Sandra happened even before it got mm-hmm. to the George Floyd situation, but you got to think too. Uh, and let me say this because we were not there. We were not there. But from the officer's perspective, too, and when you get there, and I and I'm just exclude, just I'm, I'm excluding the George Floyd situation. That was that was different. But you know, the officers when they get to those calls. You know, we have split second decisions that we have to make, especially when you think about uh, a firearm being introduced and this, that, and the other. You know, we don't have necessarily the time to see if, okay, is, and and I want to be careful with this um, because when you have a, a firearm introduced, and I'm just going to say from my perspective, you know, you're looking, you're trying to assess the uh, whole situation as you're moving through. Um, but sometimes you can't tell if a gun is 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 an air pistol. It, now, maybe if it's a green gun, you know, and it's a water pistol, you can probably assess that. But some of these things are so real. Looking, it's just hard to tell if that is a real gun or a fake gun. So, I mean, and all I'm saying is that not whether it's right or wrong, but officers has a lot they got to assess when they get to a certain call, especially with things with firearms are involved. So you have to really. Unless they're in Uvalde and they're not really assessing anything but they ain't ain't going in and you bought it they're gonna stand outside oh i'm sorry well and i think that but i think in that case they knew 
was a real gun because they knew that they, they heard the shots being fired and people were getting hurt because somebody had made a phone call saying that they in there. You know, so that's different. But I'm just saying that when, as officers, when we get to a scene, it's a lot that we have to take in and we assess. And yes, we try to prepare and train for this, but you got to remember that you see everybody is still human. I just think that a lot of times, you know, people, as they say, they do the Monday morning quarterback and you know, the situation. But when you unfold everything and you see where something was not right and we did something that was inappropriate, we need to just take accountability for it. It's and so, stand up and say, okay, this, no, we didn't quite do this correctly. And then you know, had that conversation and do it. And I think that's what may be missing sometimes is that, that the citizens see that when the police, something happens, then I think from the citizens perspective, they see the curtain come down. Okay, let's shield. And I think if we can begin to keep the curtain up and then unfold the situation and stand accountable where we have to stand accountable, I think it'll start to bridge the gap, you know, between the police and the citizens. And that, okay. that's that's from my, my perspective. That, this is that, not that the police expect, this is the first lady's perspective, you know, just that, to put out and say, hey, you know, because when you have your children and they do something wrong, then what do you do? You try to correct the behavior. You bring it to their attention. You say, hey, let, let's be accountable to ourselves for this. And then you try to rectify the problem and move forward. And I think that's what we have to do because we are not a perfect people. Officers are not perfect. We are individuals. We are human beings. We, we, we just like you are, okay? So we, I think that will help if we can start that perspective and put it out there and say, hey, this is what happened. And not try to justify, well, this or that or this or that, da, 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 da. just put it out there and let us be accountable. And yes, we get training. You know, we 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 take training, but people don't necessarily act, even they may have the knowledge base or this, that, the other, but when those encounters come, being human, sometimes they just don't do it, but you try to rely on your training. You know, I know that's what, as from my perspective, you try to re rely on the training that you have been trained so you can do the job that you um, said that you took an oath to do. So by all stretching to me, this is not easy being a police officer in this in this time, it it is not. Um, it is different than when the officers walked the beat. It was less crime. I now you got a lot of lawlessness out here, you know, and that you you're trying to deal with uh, all the time. But I I guess what I'm saying, you got to be conf confident and comfortable in your skin, you know. And for the first lady, I am. You know, so, uh, but go so, ahead, go ahead, fire. So you jumping I, in, you. <laughs> Cause you said a lot. I got a lot to say about that. I, am, I got something to say too. 
I, I agree with what you're saying about the communication. This sounds like a Sunday morning sermon to me because we talk about things that happen in communities when you talk about relationships with people. You have to build relationships with people to understand yes. what mm -hmm. the problems are. But when you come into an area and you're not trying to get to know the people, it's going to be I, hard to police the people. <laughs> I, so this 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 is one one of the things. And, and, and Didi, yeah. you tell me if I'm, I'm wrong when it comes to this. OK, so in in the, the city of St. Louis, in the inner city. Mm -hmm. There is a school called Beaumont High School where a lot of people have come through mm -hmm. this high school. But you think about it, Beaumont used to be a four-year high school. Now they only accept juniors and seniors to come to this school. Do you think that a lot of political people are putting in place in inner cities and urban areas to cause crime to fund penitentiaries to make money because they do this they, they so this is what i'm saying to you they are closing elementary schools and have closed elementary schools and middle schools in and the inner kids. city and, and to include beaumont and, and to include, okay, so that's something I didn't know now. So to, so you got all these schools that are closing in the inner city, which means education goes down. And when and education goes down. Money goes to, now I am a product of the DSEG. I am mm -hmm. a product of the DSEG. I went, uh, uh, I, I first led, you probably remember the school, Northwest High School off of Riverview. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So uh, case in point, when I graduated from eighth grade in 86, you know, we get our school assignments. I was closer to Northwest. That was the first time I ever cousin from my mom and daddy. They said, I said, oh, hell no, because the Pope, the Popo was there er day when I was coming home from grade school. Er day. Er day. <laughs> so and then so we get bust out into Melville. Mm -hmm. Now we're going south. Where they really don't want us out there. Yep. This is in the 80s. But when you start doing that, now money, taxes, funding leaves the neighborhood, neighborhood. to go into <laughs> neighborhoods where they already got the money, taxes, and funding. So you're taking us out. So number one, it's a culture shock. The first lady, you said a lot. The, the word you said, accountability. My thing is, is that system wise and like I said this and this is not on the police but this is overall oh, mm -hmm. we have to stop weaponizing the color of our skin our the color our, the color of our skin is weaponized mm -hmm. even if you are a police officer I'm quite sure even within the confines of the fraternal order of police there is still some issues that you have to deal with because if a white cop is going to come into, look, I was out there protesting with everybody and the rise and stuff with Mike Brown and stuff like that. I've seen where, um, um, you know, the white officers was like calling us monkeys and you animals and this. So when you coming from, like I said, uh, uh, the boonies or you from the city or whatever, or some part way south where you around your people. 
but you come into an area where number one, you don't want to culturally understand why we're angry. Then two, number two, you can't see the common now. See, I always say fear is profit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You keep me scared <laughs> of a white man or you keep a little old woman scared of a black man, that's going to cause profit. Mm -hmm. So what you say, oh my God, we need more policing. We need more control. You need to control those people. Well, what about the people that's out there in the trailer parks cooking up the mess? Hmm. See, see, you want to shine the spotlight and you even see it in the media. Yeah. Notice in the media, they saw like a shooting happened on the North side or a crime happened in South city today. Yeah. So when you talk about the north side, you're talking about all the folks that's on the other side of Del Mar. <laughs> now, I don't know what street that is in Houston, but on the other side Green of Del Mar. Point. Okay, Greenpoint. So, you know, don't go don't go to Del Mar after dark to mm -hmm. those people. Oh, but we could go to South City. Oh, my God, a crime happened. Mm -hmm. First of all, systems and the whole thing that is in place was designed to weaponize black people because when we because we got the intelligence, it, it wasn't when we got the intelligence, mm -hmm. we had the intelligence, like you said, to stand up for what is right, to say, hey, wait a minute, this ain't right. H. Rap Brown, head of the Black Panthers, Panthers. Mm -hmm. they're all like, hey, if you got a Second Amendment right, to carry your guns and bear arms, then we should have the same thing. Same but thing. you want to know what was fearful? An educated Black man that understood the Constitution enough to say, hey, look, I have every right to protect my neighborhood, mm -hmm. just like this white man has every right to protect their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But yet still, you're going to bring all of the crime and the drama into our neighborhoods because you want to keep the white, the, the, the white woman oh my god they're going to come get my children or you want to keep the white men like oh my god they're going to come get our white women see i, I i'm an extremist i'm an extremist because right. this is this is my thing i don't believe that white people who are in aryan nations and these type of social groups are going to sit down with black people and what? try to make it better until no black people start hanging them and, 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 and I, i'm i'm not being okay we're not asking and, for hanging it, people y'all no, or if listen listen the malcolm said malcolm said by any means necessary mm -hmm. if they have been doing this to you for generations Mm -hmm. What is to make them stop just because you have a conversation? Martin March, he got things done. Huey did what he needed to do. He got things done. Malcolm, all these people did what they need to do. The situation still has not changed. The police has stopped putting ropes around people's neck and got a gun in their hand. It is much worse than it used to be. be. But this is all I'm saying. My thing is- I, I believe, done all the, hold up, fire, but I understand what you're saying. But my question is this. If we were to flip the script, would we be any better than the people that we call to hang? No, nope, but you'll feel better. In my you'll feel better. In my perspective, <laughs> it's a vicious cycle. It is. But it's you'll feel better. But, but no matter who's on top or who's on the bottom. But, but I want to say this quote, and I'm going to let you finish. Human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Mm 
Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. The tireless exertions and passionate concerns of dedicated individuals. Since we in MLK weekend, Dr. Martin Luther King said that. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if it's going to consistently take, look, to name drop, I applaud Reverend Barber, Bishop Reverend Barber, because he getting the poor people campaign and he getting everybody mm-hmm. because that's that's what killed Martin Luther King. When you start bringing the poor, see, poverty has no color. No, it doesn't. Economics have no color. No, it doesn't. Poverty has no sexism or racism. If you're poor, you're poor. The problem (laughs) with some of these Aryan folks is they done drunk the Kool-Aid so and it has been intravenously fed into their system. Then no, they're going to continue to believe that we have come to take over when all we're saying is, hey, if, they, if the total 1% got what they got, all we're asking for is just, you know, spread the wealth, let it be equal across the board. Mm-hmm. But see, again, it goes back to ignorance is profit. Mm-hmm. Fear is profit. If I can continue to convince you that you're better than me because you white and you mm-hmm. got a penis and I'm black and I got a vagina and they're over there, but you can't handle me when my vagina stands up and I stand it up in all my womanhood. Because you can't handle the fact that I know what you know, or I know more than you know, know. then Mm -hmm. what the problem is, is that you got an inferiority complex. Complex. So in order to to continue to make me feel inferior, you got to continue to eviscerate who I am. And there are young folks out here today that say, no, this is not your grandmama's civil rights movement. You can't catch these hands. And they ain't going for it. Go to jail. And we're going to continue to flood the prisons. That is why the prison system is privatized. Mm-hmm. We had something called at NCU called breaking the prison pipeline. You're, they're starting out with the kids. If you got so many out of school suspensions to the fact that the kids are not getting the education that they need, parents are frustrated because they're doing the best they can with what they got. Kids are being left home with people who are shaping and molding their minds to figure, well, you a nigga anyway, so you ain't going to be a mountain nothing, so you might as well just go on and do. And then you're sitting up here, well, hey, you ain't number trailer trash anyway, but you're better than a nigga. So why don't you just go out and here's the best place to do it. Get inside the police officer. That way you feel that sense of power. You feel that sense of control. And you can take that anger, frustration, and that fear which is fueling the anger and frustration and put it on the necks of somebody that you believe that is inferior towards you. The fact of the matter is, is that from the top down, the whole weaponization of who we are as black people has been the problem. And yes, it will cause some folks to say, look, I'm frustrated. We might as well just start hanging them too. But it's mighty funny that you got one dude that's orange that's still walking around with the puppet strings of his minions and they want to hang, they want to build a guild on the Capitol steps talking about hang the vice president, hang the vice president. Oh, they was just protesters. But when we were out there actually saying, hey, you need to address some issues. Oh my God, there's riots in the street. Well, those weren't black, those weren't black people being disrespectful to the police. No. We're not going to be disrespectful to the police because those were those were those were clear people. Yeah, there were clear people. 
being repetitive. And when <laughs> the Black Lives Matter movement was out there saying, hey, Black lives do matter, not, not talking about blue lives or white lives. See, this is what this is what I have a problem with and as a pastor. Don't sit up there and use God's word as a tool to fuel your ideology. And yeah. So what because we have me, said on our- to be a Christian and love God, but yet still you don't like the way I look because I'm Black. Right. Or you yeah, that, that, that I work- on our webpage, we actually have a page. Um, the first lady talked about um, people who have died prior to uh, George, Ford, George Floyd mm-hmm. and Michael Brown. And we actually have a page on our website in memoriam to that, mm-hmm. where we actually just list them. But but when is it going to get to the point as to where we're tired of being the hashtag? And what is wrong with Ubuntu theology, Ubuntu by Bishop Desmond Tutu during the time of apartheid? I am because you are. You are because I, I am. am. If that is the very essence, especially of the, the spirituality, I'm not going to say religion, but if that is the very essence of the scripture that we read, that if God so loved the world, that include everybody that's in it. Well, first of all, everybody doesn't read that scriptures. You have different they, people they, who are doing they, different things. No, because we but, got people cherry picking scripture in order again to sow fear. No, I'm not talking about separate. that. I'm not I'm, talking about that. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that this world is not made of Christian. No, it's not. It's made of a lot of different people in and out. So, so. All I'm saying is, can, that, can, but can I finish that point though, real quick? I, I hear what you're saying, because we are a pluralistic society. We are a pluralistic spiritual society. My my love for Jesus does not negate somebody's love for Allah. Right. Bring it on in, because I may be missing something with Jesus that Allah could be able to tell me. But Allah probably couldn't tell me that Baha'i could come in and tell me, or Buddhists can come in and tell me as well. That's what I'm saying. If we're really going to be the world as so is saying, I'm not saying being a Christian nation, that's a lie from the pit of hell. What I'm saying is, is that the people are fearful. That is why you see so many fighting back against wokeness, because those that are coming together from all different religious backgrounds, from all spiritual expressions, I even said it in my church. I said, honey, you all can sit up here and be in your walls if you want to. But if God is going to use somebody in the LGBTQ community to reach out to God's people, honey, who are you? We don't have a monopoly on God. No. We never did. Never will. No one group does. But we have to be willing. And if you are not willing to step across the line, to sit down, to hear the struggles, to hear, take away the race, take away gender and all of that, but to hear the common struggles that people are facing today, I want to make sure that my kid can go to school and come home without being shot at. I want to be able to buy some eggs and not have to take out a payday loan. I want to be able to have some money and not have to go get a payday loan. I want to be able to go and shop and do and enjoy places like the park, like I used to, when I have the fear as if somebody going to come out with a gun because don't nobody know how to take an ass whooping. It okay, used to so be two points. You're right. Okay, so two points. Okay. One, weaponizing black skin. Mm-hmm. The definition of black of the very darkest color owing to the absence of 
complete absorption of light, the opposite of white. Mm -hmm. So our dictionary weaponizes the word. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to happen in society too? I heard the other day on the news here that Texas had a surplus, surplus of money. Can I get $20? And they were, <laughs> <laughs> that was the question that rang out that day. How come we can't get it? Okay. And the governor, don't don't make me talk about Greg Abbott. I will talk about him later because he said he's going to eradicate rape and he hadn't done it yet. So that's Maybe he's going to eradicate what? Rape. And that's a different story. Because we don't have the police on the force to even go out and do it, what First Lady was talking about. So I don't even know what he's talking about. But anyway, so what I what I would like to see happen is how do how do how do we got we got a state like Texas that has a surplus of money. And they're trying to figure out how to use it for a lot of different ways. But I'm trying to figure out why it's not going to our police, to our fire department, and then back into the communities. You left out one to y'all electric company because y'all grid. Yeah, because our grid is jacked. Grid is jacked. Because okay. when you want to be in a place where there is no regulation, when you want to be in a place where again the top one percent is holding the purse strings mm -hmm. and you don't want those people or those poor people or those border people to have the same thing or just to be able to live or to be educated okay but we back to this because the problem here at the border is okay. that what the first lady is talking about they don't have the resources of the of the police at the border because they don't want to give the resources. They want to keep it to themselves. Well, honey, we talk about Texas now. They they want to they want they want to do anything that got a gun involved. The same thing with St. Louis. Okay. So, but they're not wanting to give this money to the resources that we need. I I I I'm sorry. Like I said at the beginning, I need some police up over here. I don't know karate. I'm a, I'm a, let me book in this. I don't know karate. I don't know even how to hold a gun. If I had to tell me how to, I was scared to hold a gun. He had to tell me how to turn the safety out. I was scared. Yeah, look, I need to know. Okay. Jesus. So how do we get the budget? Because that's where it's coming from. I had a police officer. I had a I had a Harris County police officer tell me one time that they were taught in their meetings or whatever they have at the beginning of the shift or whatever, that they were told to go out and make sure that they reached a certain quota on black and brown men. Mm -hmm. Because that was how they, yeah, look at, look at, that's why I wanted, I wanted on this show because I wanted to hear about this one. They were told to go out and reach a quote. Now, this has been so many years ago because my son is 30. He's going to be 33 this year. Just some years ago. They were told to go out and get a certain quota of black and brown men. Preferably um, 
my son's age, which he was a, he was still considered a little boy at that time, up to about 25. That was what that was the age they were looking for to get some kind of case on them because that's how they were going to get the budget. It, it, exactly. And that's what I that's was That's how they about. was going to get the budget money that the first lady's talking about. And that's why I From was saying, state. that's why I was saying, speaking to Didi about the educational system, because when you break down the educational system in an area that's already impoverished, the only thing you have to do is to go out and start robbing for the basic necessities right. that you need. Once you need those, get those basic necessities or they, they don't have them because you have been in a robbery, now you're off to jail. And I want to remember. I remember. I remember. A card said at at the time of six in in the sixties. It said the postcard said a Negro nigger was worth a thousand dollars. In this economy, now it's up to a trillion because the average the average amount of in nineteen ninety six to house one inmate was eighty seven thousand dollars per year that's if he was healthy or she was healthy the average cost for one who's not healthy man you have heart conditions and all type of problems was a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year so i was actually i because I, I saw i saw a uh, first lady's face when i said what i said i was actually standing up in the harris county um jail in the lobby and the, the officer came from behind the petition out into the lobby to speak to me because I was there to ask a question so she came out you know how you said talk about teaching your children what they need to know what they can be stopped of blah, 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 blah. okay so it was it was along that lines my question I was trying to give my black son some information early rather than later and so i walked in and i said this to her instead of answering me from behind that booth she came out with a little pass key and she walked me as far to that door as she could and began to whisper and that's one of the things she whispered to me So I saw your face. I know it's wrong. I saw your face. What? What? You got? You got something you want to respond to that or no? No. It. It. It was. I guess it was just um, to hear you say that, and that the officer admitted to the fact that that's what they were doing. I guess in your county, um, I can see how that can make someone feel like, really, that's what you're doing to make money off of the backs of, of these people. Uh, and it's, it's, it's something that it should not be in law enforcement. That That is not a part of law enforcement to do it off of, to get as many brown and, and what you say, black, uh -huh. So that so so what does that translate into to the his, Hispanic community 
black community. Yeah, the community to to make your budget up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you think about around the United States, people do that all the time. And that's why we're having this conversation is we see the problem. What is the solution? Because one thing is for sure, if a person has been raised racist, you can't take that out of them. Oh, no. And they have to, they have right. to want to change. Let's just talk about sales. the Terrence police have a whole group chat. Yeah, yeah. About racism stuff in, yeah. in Taurus, California. California. Yeah. You, you but, can't. But the thing of it is, is that when you got a group of, I believe, and I could be wrong, first lady, help me out here. People don't want to talk. The clear people don't want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable. Right. The clear because people don't think that race is an issue because when you when you set it up as to where you don't see the problem with it, because of course you don't see the problem because you don't have to deal with it every day. Exactly. I want to go back to what the first lady was saying. Why is it that it's the black community or the brown community that we have to have our talk with our children and we need to because I have to have talk with my brothers and everything. But in the white community, I want to call the police. I want to see the manager because when it, 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 it's that mindset, it yeah. is that mindset. I and I don't that. think it's fair that we really put it all on the police officers no. because if it takes a fair. village to raise a child, if it takes a village to, to 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 garner a community, then the village need to come on up and say, hey, look, we got to roll up our sleeves just one more time. And just like folks are infiltrating the system when they're trying to take over government and the police and, and the school boards on how our children is taught, we have to educate now. Okay, I had the talk, but now we got to start infiltrating these systems to be able to uh, change from within. And it can't just be one or two individuals. It's got to be a group of folks that's going to come in and say, no, enough is enough. We're getting ready to stop here. And I believe that there are a lot, Black, Brown, White, Asian, whatever, is saying Hey, we're, I believe that they're asking the same questions, just like we're asking, what can we do in order to infiltrate, to tear this stuff down? Because at some point it's going to have to happen. And it's so, not just on the police. I believe it's on everybody. Yeah. Fire, can you hold that thought for a second? Because yeah. I want to just make sure that I let our listeners know mm -hmm. that I did reach out to an officer a police officer who is Caucasian to be on this show today and they weren't able to be on this show so we were trying to make it where it just wasn't about right black race we just were not able to have because I because where I knew that many of the things that the first lady would have to say this officer would also agree and they would be um they would be a parallel in their thinking with regards to um, um, policing. But I wanted to have a Caucasian officer on the show so that we would have the conversation on both sides and the balance on both sides of the race part that I knew was going to come up. So Insane Rhetoric listeners, you have heard that. Don't go to my page. Talking that yaggity yak, because I'm gonna tell you to shut up. <laughs> okay, and if we can still get that gentleman 
on the show, then we'll have a part two. Mm-hmm. We may not be able to get we look, we may not be able to get a, a first lady back because she busy. Right. She do part is working girl is show busy. Right. But if we could get her back along with him, we will. If we can get him back by himself, we will. But don't go look at here. No, I'm gonna tell you, shut up. <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Fire, and then take us out of here. Okay, okay. And then, hey, one thing before Fire, before Fire, you get back on, uh, I just wanted to make it perfectly clear to the listeners that the conversation that we have had today is strictly of my opinion. I'm not here representing anyone else, not my department, you know, uh, or anything. It's just my opinion and from my viewpoint and to try to give your audience um, a bird's eye view of from the standpoint of any police officer, what we have to deal with, the assessments we have to make when we're on the call. But most importantly, um, that when you take an oath of office, uh, whether it's the law enforcement, the medical community, uh, attorneys, or whatever, you should stand true to that oath um, that you have taken and for good and not for bad. Uh, as I have said before, we're not a perfect people. None of us are. Um, but we should do our very best to do the right thing. And that is even to the point when we see something that is not right, we should speak to it and we should get it out there. Um, So I just wanted to make it perfectly clear that uh, the opinions that I have spoken is just my opinion, the first ladies, and it has nothing to do with the department for where I work or any organization that I'm a part of. But um, I have enjoyed my career in in law enforcement and I truly hope that for the years that I have served I have really did my very to represent first of all the God that I serve the parents who have raised me and that I displayed that behavior in every step of my law enforcement career to do what was right and not what was wrong at any given time. And I just want to say that as a pastor, you know, again, I don't speak for my church. These are just my opinions, my limited mm-hmm. opinion. Um and it's from my perspective, based upon my experience, my views does not necessarily uh, affect or go along with the views of the organizations and everything that I'm with as well. But it's just that it it we have to be able to have the the courage to speak not necessarily truth to power, but have power in our truth, and no longer be silent. There is no right or wrong way to say what is on your heart and mind. But if it's scripture says, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak, the, the, the mouth will speak. And I'm, you know, really 
really, I really believe that because I believe there's power in our words, but there's also power in our presence and that ain't nothing wrong with doing something right. There's nothing wrong with doing the right thing. Even Martin Luther King said, now the time is always right to do what's right. And I appreciate that because I don't want you to think that pastors are out here bashing police officers. That is not the case. We want to work with the police officers. I want to work with the police officers because I'm like, ice, honey, I don't know how to look. Okay, revoke my black card. I don't know how to skate. And I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how to hold a gun. And the first time I did it was in the uh, 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 career that I was in. I went for my birthday. And when I fired the gun, I said, Lord Jesus, let me put this down because I'll be the first one to go to jail. Or they shot. always taking my black card from me on this show. <laughs> so but I, me booze just up because I, I don't know how to do I'm the only I'm the only and then when we have uh our one of our panelists that come on kind of regular uh, me and him be the only white people in the room <laughs> well honey I, I think I'm sitting there with you but the whole premise <laughs> of it is is that you know I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this insane rhetoric because it's like for me unrestricted discernment you still have to discern where the spirit is leading you to speak mm-hmm. and not everybody is going to agree. And that is okay. Come right. to the table with your disagreement because even in the disagreements, we're still going to find the common problem whereas we can at least come together and find a common solution. But you got to be, you have to be brave enough to speak about it. That's what, um, so as a reminder, if you're new to listening to Insane Rhetoric, that's actually why we developed this podcast, because this was our way to inform our community, to give something to our community, because, you know, we had Mr. Orange Hair and um, and he has he has just obliterated this <laughs> system in our country where we are now back in 1960. And so we just decided that we would have a forum for people to actually have a conversation, to actually be able to show both sides of a, of a conversation and then discuss it. So, so we, 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 sometimes we act a little silly, but it's really about being able to disseminate information in the best way that we can contribute to our community. Uh, say what you had to say and take us on out of here. Yeah, I was just gonna say, just remember January 6th, all the people up there were white. And if it was a black situation, they all would have been laying down. Or they would have been under a net. They would have dropped a net up. <laughs> well, there was a black person that was up in there and he got sentenced more years than some, then, of, the then, then some of the white folks. So we know that the system of justice it ain't blind, but it's definitely unbalanced. You know, uh, I'm gonna just say this: uh, we all have issues. We all have we all have the way we see things and our perspective of things. But I agree with Didi. If it's right, stand for what's right. If it's wrong, don't go along with it, and you know when it's wrong. Uh, Martin said this. Martin said that. If you're not ready to die for something, you can never live. 
So <laughs> sometimes somebody has to pay the cost to push us forward in what we're trying to do. So that being said, you can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're in five countries. <laughs> Five continents. Oh, I thought it was four continents. It's seven continents. Okay. It's hot joke, y'all. We're on we're on we're in all we're on. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our guests. Thank y'all for coming on this show. Yes, enlightening us. Thank you. We're on all seven continents and we're in multiple countries. Uh, one of our biggest countries outside of the United States is Germany. For some reason, we all Germany know why they love us in Germany. like us <laughs> in Germany. Right. So, so, but... Uh, hey, hey, Germany! Hey, hey! Germany! Don't be shame, Germany! I love Germany! So, so... Germany is a clean country. Yeah. So, so yeah, I that, like Germany. That that's so that is uh some of the places that you can you can find us if you can spell insane rhetoric with a K. You can find us on any social platform: Google Music, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You can find us everywhere as long as you can spell insane rhetoric and then with when a you get K. There, like, subscribe, and follow. Like, subscribe, and follow. And then another thing we want to let you know that. At midnight, yeah, at midnight, 60 seconds, change can happen. It's only a day from one second away from something new. At midnight, it can change. So just know to remember to enjoy the ride, which is Insane rhetoric. We are here. We are holler at y'all. Be blessed. We gone. Hey guys, this is Fire from Insane Rhetoric. Check this out. Listen, we need your help in sustaining future episodes, conversations, so we can bring more of the craziness and the insanity to you that's going on in your community, in your city, and in your world. Can you please help us to donate to Insane Rhetoric? And your small, medium, or large gifts are more than appreciated. And we would love to keep this station coming to you and giving you the information that you need about the insanity in your world. So check this out. Please, please, please donate to Insane Rhetoric so we can sustain future episodes. Hey, thank you once again. Fire out. We're so happy you joined us for Rebroadcast Monday. Come back and join us on Rewind Wednesday. But until then, just remember to enjoy the ride. That is insane rhetoric, baby.